Welcome to the Horseman's Academy podcast presented by Lundahl Performance. We believe in making advanced horsemanship accessible, and our mission is to present a raw, authentic look at horse training. We're problem solving, we're answering difficult questions, and we're breaking down common sense exercises for riders of all levels. On this podcast, we document the lessons we've learned in our own horsemanship journey while offering insights that might help you achieve your horsemanship goals. Thank you for listening. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 4 of the Horseman's Academy. In this episode, we'll talk about a difficult topic regarding the application of pressure when training a young foal. We'll also continue our walkthrough of our colt starting program with days 4 through 6 and introduce a young cow horse to live cattle for the first time. That's next on the Horseman's Academy podcast. So in today's episode, we're going to lead off with a segment that was more inspired by some recent experiences Amy had with a private lesson that she did. Uh, as well as different questions we've had on this subject in the past, working with weanlings and foals and talking about the application of pressure and different problems that can come up in your foal and weanling training. So in this particular lesson, I was working with a lady who started working with this baby um, as a foal, so very young, not right when it hit the ground, but pretty soon after, did some groundwork with it when it was really young, um, did some desensitizing, and this was kind of all um, before the halter was put on it, and that went pretty well with the, the neck rope and the butt rope, not a whole lot of major issues there. Um, I was kind of helping her remotely and she would ask me some questions and kind of gave her a little bit of guidance along the way, but that went fairly smoothly. And then um, when this full was about um, weanling age and she was just going to brush up some of its groundwork and started working with the halter on it, you know, had some resistance there, but nothing out of the ordinary. But then as she consistently kept working with this foal with the halter on, she just started noticing little things that she didn't like or exercises. I'm going to use yield the hindquarters as an example. Exercises like yield the hindquarters, they weren't getting cleaned up or polished at all. In fact, they were kind of getting worse, but the horse was still technically doing it but just not very well. And uh, introducing new exercises started to become a, a battle or more of a fight. And so I went out and I was helping her with some other horses and stuff too, but she wanted me to look at this at this weanling. So in this case, I also want to point out that, you know, she had a pretty good program that she was following. She had an exercise list. She wasn't just shooting from the hip making this up. So kudos for that. So she was going by the book what she was missing is everything in between the exercises. She had the exercises themselves, but was missing the why or the point of the exercises. With a foal or a weanling, you're teaching them to accept pressure and to move away from and to, and to submit to pressure. So as a byproduct of that, sure, their body is doing an exercise, but we have to keep the why in mind and then everything else falls into place a lot better. This very closely relates to what we talk about with older horses. Again, we talk a lot about mental softness and acceptance of pressure in our program. If you're working with a foal or a weanling, that is the point of everything that you're doing. You're not necessarily being as picky with the exercises, but you're being aware of that horse's mentality at when he's doing the exercises and when you're actually applying that pressure. 
And that's kind of what was being missed here. The horse was going through the motions, but it was fundamentally rejecting pressure. It was being resistant, not paying attention, kind of marching to the beat of its own drum. So to begin with, I had her just work with the foal as if I wasn't there. I just wanted to see how the interactions were going, how the exercises were going, what she was working on, how she was starting things, etc. So like Jake said, I just kind of sat back and watched, but in between her exercises to, to a more experienced eye, like this thing just reeked with not paying attention, with just being disrespectful, of having become really super pushy, which is pretty common with a foal. We do a lot of rubbing on them, a lot of loving on them because we want them friendly, we want them coming up to us. All these things are important, but that has to be balanced. And I found consistently, like everybody that I've helped with foals, weanlings, younger horses, that like every single person doesn't want to put pressure on these horses because they're cute and because they're little and because they're friendly and they're fluffy and I get it and there's a time for rubbing on them but it's also a really impressionable time in their life where we need to be instilling good habits. So I'll go back to using yield the hindquarters as an example. So another thing that this foal would do is just like randomly try to leave like it would literally just walk off like it saw a bird on a fence like it was just completely not mentally tuned in whatsoever so it would do that and then another thing that it would do like when you were doing uh, lunging for a spec stage one or sending it was still really really sticky and resistant to that halter pressure so when you would go to yield its hindquarters and it would feel that halter pressure on its face it would still pull back skitter sideways um, kind of set back and and fight that halter pressure and so it kind of got a little bit ugly it's real easy to back away from those because you want the fold to look good. You want it to look like, you know, like things are going really well. But when in all honesty, it needs exposed to that and you have to go through some of that ugliness, so to speak, to get anything happening or to physically make it happen. I remember one particularly comical instance and it, it did it to the lady once and then I took took a hold of the foal and uh, wanted to work with it myself. But while yielding its hindquarters, it just starts trotting off. And rather than jerking on the halter to get two eyes or um, being effective or, you know, uh, getting, getting some leverage on it and pulling him off its feet and getting two eyes that way, this foal is just like trotting across the pen, halfway dragging this person who's just kind of like skiing on the heels of her boots. And that needed to stop okay this this is a chunky weanling at this point that's starting to get big starting to get some muscle and if things continue how they were going we were we were teaching it to pull onto pressure we were teaching it to run through pressure to plow through what it feels on its face which is the exact opposite of what we need to be teaching with these exercises so when something like that happens rather than just setting up the exercise and applying pressure really perfectly and setting it up and waiting, waiting, waiting. Like there's a time to get that thing to come back to you now. And that's what this this particular weanling needed. It needed to be exposed to a lot more pressure. And sure, it's going to freak out, but it needs to figure out that it needs to A, pay more attention and B, when it feels that pressure, quit fighting and start thinking. 
Yeah, I just want to back up for a second because a lot of the seeds of this behavior get started in the full handling that people do. You know, even if they're trying to be correct about it, they're trying to go in, put the full in the strings, move their body around, and just teach them to yield and submit to pressure. A lot of times they're not effective enough about it. And so, you know, they end up kind of mixing the the things that they're trying to teach in terms of applying pressure and release to the horse where they mix that with a lot of loving on it and rubbing on it and the the boundaries are just never really clear in this horse's mind they start growing they start getting bigger you start seeing them you know jumping around in the strings like cracked out llamas just eating somebody's lunch and they're just sitting there not being effective not taking control not you know basically demanding that full's attention and the other thing that they typically make a mistake on is they don't have a very get in and get out attitude. They have this kind of casual messing around attitude. And I'm not saying that that's what this lady was doing, but you know, it's not hard to to go on social media or wherever. You see people making videos of them handling their foals and these things are running all over them, casually nipping at them, casually kicking them, doing all this stuff. And you know, when that foal gets four or 500 pounds, that's no longer funny. It's no longer cute. You know, but these these bad habits have now been implanted. And so this horse just fundamentally had not been in a habit of accepting pressure. He really didn't understand there was supposed to be an expectation that he was going to pay attention while the human was working with him and putting pressure on him. He just didn't have that mental habit. To him, it was just playtime. And there was really no responsibility to respect pressure or pay attention to what the human was doing. And really that just comes down as a horseman to just your own lack of effectiveness, lack of being effective, stepping in and taking control, and demanding that horse's attention and respect when you need it. Doesn't mean you have to be a drill sergeant around the horse all the time, but there needs to be definite boundaries there if you're going to be working with these horses from a young age. And demanding that attention in an effective way. Like the first time um, I bumped on this horse with the halter, uh, the lady was like, what? Like, I can do that. I'm allowed to do that. And I'm like, you have to do that at this point. Like there is no, if you want to, like this needs done. It has to happen. In that particular example, even after like yielding a tine quarter stage one, it would just kind of flop into your lap or just like lean on you or just be, be obnoxiously close to you and it couldn't be away from you so jerking on it to get it out of your space was the only effective way or the example that I gave earlier earlier about yielding its hindquarters you know if it's just running off you're gonna have to jerk two eyes in order to make something happen Um, but sometimes people get these ideas in their heads I think they made them up on their own that they think that they can only put X amount of pressure on the horse or that bumping is off limits. Well, if you need a bump, you're going to have to bump. There's there's a time where nothing else is going to take the place of being effective. Yeah, and that's something that's difficult to get people's head wrapped around sometimes is teaching a horse to accept pressure. But, you know, a good example of that outside of full and weanling training, but it, it certainly relates, is like when we put our first initial rides on a colt in the round pin, a lot of times when we get that colt loping, even if it's a really sensitive horse that wasn't difficult to get loping and we didn't have to spank on that horse, we're still going to. We're still going to lightly over and under. We're going to move around in the saddle, rub on them, pet on them, and we're going to expose them to that movement and that pressure so that they're not surprised about it. They, they will react a little bit initially, 
but we have to expose the horse to it. And that's where when you're working with a weanling, just because they're little and cute, you can't hold yourself back from effective discipline. And so like Amy said, you might have to jerk on the halter. You know, what's the alternative? Just let the full walk off and disengage from the training session just because it said so? Just let it take you on a ski ride? That's no way to teach anything, is to let the horse dictate the terms of how this interaction is going to go because they're a reactive prey animal that doesn't have the ability to follow chains of reasoning. You need to be the one in the driver's seat and you need to be the one that has their respect and attention and is going through your exercises and setting boundaries in terms of behavior. Because horses are like young children. They're constantly testing their limits and kind of seeing what they can get away with. If you watch them around older horses, have you ever seen a kind of a mama mare in the herd and one of the babies comes over and is kind of casually nipping at her and rearing up, being playful, and the mare gets annoyed and pins her ears and the foal just ignores her? So what does she do? She will turn and bite that foal or kick that foal full power, like double barrel that thing if need be. Typically that doesn't happen because the foal skitters away before she can do any real damage. But those horses have no qualms about kicking that foal or biting that foal or putting some other kind of pressure on it as if it was an adult horse. They're not going to tolerate that foal running up and pinning its little ears at them and taking a nip out of their shoulder. You know, that, that mare is going to respond in some way. And so what we're saying is to not be unfair to these young horses, you're still going to have to have lower expectations than you would with an older horse that's more physically and mentally mature, certainly. There's going to be a little give and take when you're working with these super young ones. But that being said, you still have to have some consistency and boundaries. And you still have to be willing to put pressure on them when necessary because they will test the limits of that respect. Because why? They're a horse. They might be in a small package right now that's cute and fuzzy, but they're still a horse. And I think we've all been in a similar situation at some point. I, I know I sure was, uh, especially in the early days of learning. I remember one clinic in particular that I did. It was a colt starting clinic, and I had a kind of more sensitive on the feely end of the spectrum cutting colt that I was starting, a little filly, and she would flex with just steady pressure you know, very lightly, two finger lightly. And this was before, this was before the first ride. And one of the helpers of the clinic, I had them check my flexing. And I said, well, I don't really need to bump on her because she's, she's light. Um, so I feel like I'm good enough. Can I, can I move on to the next thing? And he's like, do it anyway. And that was a real kind of eye opener for me because he said, you, when you go to ride this thing, it has to be able to handle that pressure. It's soft. Okay. That's great. But you have to expose it to that pressure anyway. Otherwise you're going to be in a bind later on. And that's an exaggerated example of, you know, you being really vulnerable during the first ride, but it's about exposing them to that pressure so that they don't freak out about it, they accept it, and they try harder to look for or soften or find the answer rather than just mentally losing it. So that was a good example for me learning this concept. And then going back to this same private lesson that I did, this girl was also riding another horse. And uh, just looking at this horse, he's a big tubby horse, uh, but he, he has some feel to him. And he's kind of on the squirrely side, wants to avoid pressure and just squirt away from pressure rather than accepting it. And so it was a lot of the same concept with this horse as well about taking a hold of this horse in the bridle 
and with your legs and actually physically holding him there and putting him in a bind until he accepts the pressure. So it was an interesting parallel and theme throughout this whole private lesson of physically put the horse in as much of a bind until he's uncomfortable with it, until he starts to accept things and think through this. Final thing I'll say on this subject is don't hold yourself back from being effective. I know there's a million ways to skin this particular cat in terms of this subject, and we talk about it a lot, but shoot, how many problems do we go through on a daily basis here when we're answering questions or giving people advice on horse training where it fundamentally comes down to that? People not willing to apply the necessary pressure where it's needed to get their horse's attention and make something happen. And really, it just comes down to that word, being effective, not being a nagging mother, also not being unfair to the horse and putting a ton of pressure on it in a way that it's not prepared for and all you create is confusion and fear. You don't want to go to that level either. But there's a gradient in the middle where we've got to find an island of stability, so to speak, of effectiveness. And far too many people are holding themselves back from doing what it takes to get the job done as easy as possible but as firm as necessary. For our foundation segment today, we wanted to walk through days four through six of our cult starting program. In our last episode, we talked about day three, and that involved our first session of leading the horse by the feet. And we're going to do that for the following three days. So we're going to cover those days of the program and do kind of a brief overview. We're not going to be as super in-depth as last time because a lot of these subjects we've actually covered in prior podcasts. We've talked a lot about problem solving in terms of the first time the occult is being saddled and kind of troubleshooting some issues there. And so we're not going to take a super deep dive into it. There's a lot to cover here, but we want to run through a basic rundown of what we do in order because, again, going back to the, the reason we started this series, it shows how this system that we go through over the next several days, the exercises build on each other, and it sets us up to have a great first ride and continue the progress with this young horse. So we'll talk about the next three days of our program, days four through six, introducing the saddle and bridle for the first time, and a few other things. So let's start with day four, the exercises we're going to run through today. First, we're going to get the horse desensitized, flex. Uh, we're going to use bumping pressure if the horse has been good with steady pressure on the halter. Then we're going to start our round pinning exercises. We're still in the round pin this entire day. Uh, we'll do yield the hindquarters, rope around the belly. We'll go through the first saddling, get the saddle on. We'll do lunging stages one and two. We're going to leave the horse then saddled and turned out all day long just so that they get used to wearing it. When we catch them back up, we're going to bring them in the round pin again. We're going to lunge them and flap the stirrups and desensitize before we unsaddle. When we get the saddle off, we're going to rub down the horse's legs again and lead them by the second foot. So we're still doing our leading by the feet each day, but that's going to be at the very end of the session after we've done everything else leading up to that point. And then after we get done with leading by the second foot, we're always going to finish with desensitizing. But at the beginning of the session, we're going to bring the horse in the round pin, we're going to desensitize, and then we're going to go into flexing. Up to this point, we've done flexing with steady pressure, but as we just talked about in our full segment, we need to introduce that bumping pressure because we want to refine the amount of softness we have on the halter. That's also going to translate to the bridle later when we introduce that. So let's talk about flexing for a little bit. 
So just like in everything else that we teach, there's two stages to each exercise. There's the teaching stage where we need them to understand a concept, and then there's the refinement stage or there's the do it now stage. So we're moving the flexing from the teaching stage to the do it now stage. In the beginning, we had to just get him understanding um, and doing the exercise to where he knows that when he feels that pressure, he's supposed to bend his head around, touch his belly, etc. So now we just need to get him to put more effort in and expose him to more pressure. That way, A, he's going to get softer and B, he's going to be more accepting of higher levels of pressure and be more uh, submissive about being in that bind. So the way that we're going to teach that is we're going to slide our hand down just like we did with steady pressure and you're going to pick up with steady pressure but it's going to be two fingers worth of steady pressure you're not going to close your fist and you're going to pick up with with two fingers 1001 1002 and if that horse isn't flexed all the way around to his belly you're going to bump on on his nose with that lead shank you're going to bump with driving pressure one two three four until that horse starts bringing his nose around now in the beginning, when you apply more pressure like this, he might start moving his feet again. If that's the case, of course, you're just going to stay with him. And then when he drops his nose down or starts bringing it around, you're going to give him little mini releases to help guide his nose around. Kind of like leaving a little breadcrumb trail of, you know, you're on the, you're on the right path, you're in the right direction, keep, keep going. So we're going to teach flexing with bumping pressure. Yep, you're going to bump, 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 pause when he gives a little bit bump, 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 pause again, bump, bump, bump. He finally comes all the way around. Now you're going to actually release and drop the lead rope. And once the horse understands the concept of that, we're just going to quit the session. So we're only going to do enough to introduce the bumping concept today because we're going to come back and in between exercises, remember, we're always desensitizing and flexing. Even if we don't talk about it on this audio, just assume that in between every exercise, we're doing that. So we're going to refine that and keep reviewing it throughout the day and for the next several days going forward. But after we get done with our flexing and desensitizing, then we're going to unsnap the lead rope and go back to doing the round pinning exercises. We touched on that already. We're going to review our yielding the hind quarters. And then we're going to spend a few minutes working on desensitizing the horse and bringing the rope around the belly. That's where we're going to actually bring the lead rope over the horse's back, back under the girth. And we're going to simulate doing up and releasing a cinch. We're going to treat that rope as if it was a cinch to start introducing this horse to pressure around his girth area. Horses are naturally kind of defensive about that. So what this will look like is we'll initially toss the lead rope over the horse's back. We'll kind of rub, rub, rub along his girth area, you know, let warn him that we're coming, get our arm under there, get the rope from the other side, draw it back. And then we're going to just kind of spend a few minutes kind of rubbing and seesawing the lead rope around his girth area and over his withers. You know, kind of it'll kind of look like a belt on a piece of machinery or something. We're going to be running both ends of that lead rope, kind of sliding it around, uh, kind of casually tightening and releasing it on his girth. That's sort of stage one, is just get him used to the feeling of that rope underneath there. All the while, of course, we're keeping his head tipped toward us because we're standing more to the side so that we can operate this lead rope. And if that horse moves around, we want to have his nose tipped toward us so that he's not going to run us over or get, get too close there. Some horses do get kind of nervous about it, but if you've done a really good job of constantly flexing and desensitizing in between exercises up to this point, it shouldn't be a big deal. It's kind of a rite of passage. So we'll do that for a few minutes, and then we'll actually go in closer, and with our hands, we're going to cinch the rope tighter around his girth, and we're going to use our fists to kind of draw that rope together, and we're actually going to tighten and release it 
again, using rhythm, but we'll tighten that rope, hold for a few seconds. When that horse relaxes, we're going to slacken the rope, give him a relief, and then draw it together and then release again. And what we're doing is we're simulating that process of doing up the cinch when we get that saddle on. We don't want this horse to be nervous about that and overreact. We want to give him a lot of prior signal that, hey, this is coming, but it's nothing to worry about. When you feel that tension in your girth area, all you got to do is just stand still and relax because you're not restricted. You're not in a bind. You're not in trouble. Nothing's going to happen. So then we'll actually go into our first saddling. And we're not going to be too detailed about this. We've done this in other podcasts. But I just want to make the point that it's extremely important that you've done your preparation and that this experience goes well. We don't want the horse to have what I call a catastrophic failure on any of their first 14 saddlings, today being day one. For the next two weeks, every time we saddle that horse, we don't want anything stupid happening. We don't want the saddle to fall off and scare the horse. We don't want the horse to buck, and then as he's bucking, the saddle comes loose and slips down around his flank, and he wrecks the saddle or hurts himself. Anything stupid like that. We want to make this a good experience. The horse, most horses, when they're saddled for the first time, are going to buck, but the fact that they bucked is not, that is not, it doesn't really have any bearing on how good-minded of a horse they are or anything like that. I, I expect that to happen, and they kind of get a free pass the first time they wear a saddle. So that's fine. The fact that they buck is not an issue, but it's other ways that this experience can become negative and leave a lasting impact. That's what's going to create bad habits. The horse gets the saddle off. If we do something stupid to scare the horse, and believe me, I've done all those things. So to ensure that this experience goes well, we're going to use the approach and retreat method to first introduce the horse to the saddle. And it's extremely important to get the saddle on smoothly and proficiently. You're not going to be taking your attention off the horse, even for an instant. Now, initially, before we even saddle, we're going to approach and retreat and desensitize on both sides with the saddle pad. We're going to throw the saddle pad on and off his back with rhythm, slide it all over, rub it up and down his spine, up even onto his neck, and get him super used to that. Then we'll come with the saddle and do the same thing. We're going to approach and retreat on both sides. All the while, we've got his head bent toward us. We're short enough on that lead shank that even if we're holding the saddle, we've still got the rope in the crook of our elbow and we're keeping his nose tipped toward us for a couple reasons. Number one, we want him to see what's happening. We don't want to hide this thing from the horse. And then he suddenly turns his head, sees it at an odd angle out of the corner of his eye and spooks himself and lunges forward and hurts us potentially. Um, the other thing is, obviously, if his nose is turned away from us, if he does go to do something silly like that, chances are he's going to run us right over, step on us, hurt us in some way. So we need to keep that bend in the horse's neck. Bend is your friend when you're saddling a young horse for the first time, especially. But we'll approach and retreat on both sides with the saddle. And then typically when we actually go to saddle, so we've got the pad on first, then we're going to saddle from the off side, from the horse's right side. That way, once we get the saddle on his back, we can undo the cinches and only have to cross sides on the horse one time. We get back to the left side, we can do up our cinches there, and then we can send him off around the round pin without having to change sides multiple times. Once the saddle's on, and we're going we're gonna to do it up until you can just feel that that saddle's tight enough that it's not going to come off if this horse bucks, but as a horseman, you kind of get a sense that 
you do that thing up tight enough, you see a sudden change in that horse's attitude and the way he's standing there. And that's your cue that you've now lit this stick of dynamite, the fuse is burning, now you need to get away before he starts to buck. And most colts will buck, and it's just a natural process we go through. But prior to saddling the horse, you need to have three training sticks strategically placed just on the ground somewhere around the round pin. So you can back away from the horse, lengthening your lead rope, not taking your eyes off the horse. Back over to one of your training sticks, pick them up off the ground, keep your eyes on the horse, obviously, and then you're going to send them off and start lunging them around the round pin. You want, when this horse, no matter what their reaction is with the saddle, you want to keep them away from you, away from your personal space. So a lot of horses, when they first wear the saddle, they get scared and they want to run at the human being. That's why you've got a stick because you can get that stick up there in kind of a defensive position and drive that horse's front end away. Get him away from you. If he's going to buck, let him buck around the outside of the round pin. Do not let him run over the top of you. The other thing you need to do is when you get him out to the outside of the round pin and you're sending him off, you need to keep him moving forward. A lot of times when horses really start bucking, they want to stop completely moving forward and just be bucking straight up in the air. You need to get that horse's feet moving and you need to keep his feet moving so that he continues moving around the round pin, continues wearing the saddle, getting used to it. Gradually, he's going to calm down, start accepting the feel of the saddle, and it's also going to keep you safe. If you let that colt just stop and turn toward you, chances are darn near 100% that he's going to lunge and buck over the top of you, potentially run you over or hurt you in some way. Don't allow that to happen. Keep his feet moving and keep him away from you. And if he's going to buck, let him do it at the end of that 10-foot lead rope. Right. His feet need to be moving the entire time. I've seen people who even claim to, you know, follow these better horsemanship practices, but the horse will start bucking and they kind of keep it moving. But then as soon as it's done bucking, they let it just stop and stand there because they're rewarding it for stopping bucking. Get that completely out of your head. Don't do that. Keep it moving so that it continues getting used to wearing the saddle. When you stop the horse prematurely like that or you let it stop prematurely, all you're doing is delaying its learning curve and, you know, you're planting the seeds of what could be bad habits down the road because every time you stop him before he's truly used to it, he's more than likely going to scare himself again when he moves. You already scared him or he's already scared when he moved off the first time. That's why he's bucking. He's scared of it. He's trying to get rid of it. Okay. So keep him moving until he's super duper comfortable with it moving rather than stopping him and then starting the process all over again. Keep that going. Remember what I said, if a horse is going to really buck super hard, they typically what? Stop forward motion. And that's where you see people, they let their horse buck, 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 and then they let it stop. Well, what is the horse doing right there? It's getting a release of pressure. And it's not learning how to move out and get comfortable with the saddle. I hate seeing that because it plants so many bad habits down the road. Or if you're green at all and, you know, you're starting fluffy, even if you're under, you know, the guidance of a trainer or whatnot, like the person in the middle is usually trying to like catch their breath and breath and like, oh my goodness, fluffy just bucked his head off. like. I never thought he would like, and they're like kind of in shock and they're kind of out of breath and like, I don't know, it's just an adrenaline thing that like they need to gather themselves. Don't do that. Just keep going. Maintain your composure and no matter what this horse does, it should not shock you. They could run around the round pin and not buck. That's happened. You know, some horses don't buck the first time. Uh, most do. 
they could buck a little bit. Um, some horses scare themselves and they try to run really fast around the round pin. And in that case, you just allow them to maintain that momentum and allow them to get used to that. And gradually they will slow down. Okay. Or some horses buck really super hard. And instead of continuing to point, cluck and spank and drive that horse around, the human is sitting there shocked with their thumb up their rear end, just watching the spectacle. Like they're watching a colt starting competition or something. No. You need to keep your composure, step in there, and keep his feet moving. Lack of forward motion is a death knell when training young horses, especially in a moment like this. So we've we've just sent this horse off. You know, if he was kind of more or less facing counterclockwise when we started lunging him, we're just going to let him continue counterclockwise around the round pin. At some point, we're going to yield his hindquarters, change hands on our stick and string and our lead rope, and send him the other way. But when we do that, we're going to be super mindful and careful again, because now we're changing sides, which means we're changing eyes, which means that horse is now going to see everything completely differently going the opposite way. He very well could spook himself and jump forward and start bucking again, or do something else silly. You've got to maintain your awareness and composure because this is a massive safety issue when you're changing directions. Now, from the time you initially sent that horse off around the round pin, the first direction, you need to be mindful of where that saddle is on their back, because chances are that when you initially did up the cinch, now that they've maybe bucked or run quite a bit around the round pin, they've let some air out, and now that cinch is loose. So you want to make a decision. You can either yield the horse's hindquarters right there, approach them carefully, and tighten your cinch up again, and then send them off the same way, or if you're confident that that saddle's tight enough, you can lunge them both directions for a few minutes, yielding their hindquarters every time that you change direction. And then before we step out and do stage two, where we're stepping out in front of the drive line and doing inside turns and asking that horse to roll back over his hocks and go the other way, before we do that more intense version of lunging, we can step in and tighten up the cinch then. Bare minimum, you want to do up the cinch three times before we turn the horse out. Once when you put the saddle on, another time to tighten it up during your lunging, and then the third time will be just before we turn this horse out and let him run around with the saddle on all day. So immediately after the lunging, we're going to go ahead and desensitize a little bit from a distance with our stick and string. We're not going to stand two feet away from the horse at his shoulder and flick the lead rope over his back. We're not confident enough to do that yet. Just desensitize standing a little ways out in front of him with the stick and string. And we're going to lead him out to a big, safe arena. We don't want to keep this horse cooped up in the round pin. The best thing you can do is turn him out in a big cutting pin or a large arena, something with safe fencing where they can't really get themselves in trouble, but they've got a lot of room to move. They can run around and just get used to the feeling of that saddle all day long and get comfortable with it. Typically, we'll put a grazing muzzle on the horse so that they can't chew the saddle or other horses if we've got multiple colts turned out at the same time. But we're gonna, the way that we lead that horse out to the arena is that we're going to back away from the horse. We're going to stay at least 12 feet in front of the horse, down the lead rope, of course. We're going to keep that stick out in front of us if we need to, to keep that horse backed away from us down at the end of the lead rope while we back away from them and continue walking backwards and lead them out to the middle of that big arena. We don't want to be trapped up against the fence. We don't want to have that horse too close to us at any time. We're still treating them like they're an unstable stick of dynamite that could go off at any second. We're going to keep our wits about us and be smart. But once we get out to that big arena, we'll work our way up to the horse, 
check that cinch again and make sure it's pretty darn tight. Meaning that if that horse tried to roll, for example, or rub the saddle against the fence, it's not going to come loose and it's not going to slip under their belly. When in doubt, tighten it more. Tighten it more than you think you have to because it will loosen throughout the day as they run around. Because it's crucial that that saddle does not slip or come off when that horse rolls, rubs against the fence, kicks at it, a million other things that he's going to do when he gets used to the saddle. So, like we do, make sure you use an older saddle that you really don't care if it gets scuffed up and abused a little bit. And again, put a grazing muzzle on them if you think they're going to chew the leather. Now when we go to unsaddle that colt, we'll walk out in that big arena, catch him again, and he's been wearing it all day. Before we do anything, we want to practice a few more desensitizing exercises when we get up to him before we actually start playing with the saddle because we want to make sure that he's actually comfortable with it. So we're going to catch him again. We're going to do some more lunging. We're going to spend several more minutes of groundwork back in the round pin. And then we're going to actually start desensitizing him to the saddle. And we'll do that by first flapping the stirrups, desensitizing him to that sensation of the stirrups flapping on his belly. He would have already gotten some exposure to that just wearing the saddle. But we want to make sure that there's no reactiveness left in there. So we're going to flap, flap, flap and do a very thorough job desensitizing that on both sides. Then when we actually unsaddle the horse, we're going to undo our cinches. And the way I like to do it is on the left side, unbuckle the cinches. We've got the horse in the middle of the round pin. I'm going to step to the right side and I'm going to pull the saddle off. I'm not going to sit there and waste time putting my cinches up in the keeper and all this other crap. I'm just going to get the saddle off, the saddle and the pad at the same time. Just slip it off. I'm going to set my saddle down on the ground beside me. I'm going to take my pad then and immediately start approaching or treat flipping that pad off and on his back with rhythm again. So immediately after I pull it off, I'm going to take the pad itself and keep flapping the pad over his back and do that from both sides for another couple of minutes. It's very important that when you pull the saddle off, you immediately desensitize to the pad again before you quit the session. Now, after we get the saddle off and everything out of the round pin, we're going to lead by the second hind foot. And then that is going to conclude day four. So going into day five, we're not going to round pin the horse today. That'll be the first day that we toss that exercise away, but we've got some new ones to teach. We're going to still do our desensitizing and flexing, and we're going to teach this horse to flex from the opposite side on the ground with the halter and lead rope. We're going to review yielding the hindquarters, backing up. We're going to saddle the horse. We're going to do our lunging just like yesterday. If the horse had a big problem with the saddle, we're going to turn them out again. If they were being super reactive or bucked super hard, we want to get that horse more exposure to the saddle. Before we turn him out, you know, we'll probably teach yield the four quarters. We'll bring him back in, review our groundwork again, review our desensitizing again, just like yesterday. We're going to get the saddle off, rub down his legs, and then we're going to lead by the third foot. And this is an optional part. We can also choose today to introduce the snaffle bit headstall. We can get that on for the first time and then allow that horse to wear the headstall all night just to get used to it. And contrary to popular belief, they can still eat and drink perfectly fine with that snaffle bit headstall on. So once you teach your horse to flex and they get pretty good at it, they have a tendency to cheat. So the way that they cheat when they're flexing is that they kind of just watch your hand and they know that when you pick your hand up towards his withers, that they bring their nose around rather than really following and leading off of that pressure from their nose, as well as this will prepare them for flexing side to side, back and forth, 
under saddle when we go to ride them. So flexing from the opposite side doesn't allow them to cheat in that they can't see your hand coming, so they have to go completely off of the feel of the halter from their nose. So you'll start this by standing up close with your belly button in line with the horse's shoulder rather than back towards his flank when you're flexing towards the same side. So your belly button is facing his shoulder and you're going to toss the lead rope over his head so that if you're on the left side, the lead rope is on the right side. Then you're going to pull the slack out of the lead rope with your left as you slide your right hand or the hand closest to his tail, you'll slide your right hand down the lead rope to flex him around. The same principles of flexing apply. The first couple flexes I do when I teach flexing from the opposite side can be with steady pressure until he figures it out. Then you can do the same thing with bumping pressure. Yeah, and you don't want to try to teach that if the horse is highly resistant because otherwise when you're standing on the opposite side and trying to flex him, he's going to be moving around and trying to mow you over with his hindquarters. So you need to be very well prepared before you actually go to that. Right. And if he was super resistant the day before with bumping pressure and you need another day or two with bumping pressure, that's okay. After we flex on the opposite side, then we're going to review our yielding the hindquarters. We're going to throw, go through our backing. We've got several methods that we're going to run through in a quick session of backing. You know, we're going to start out just with driving pressure, tap the air in front of the horse's nose. Then we're going to do the wiggle wave as well as the marching methods. And finally, teach that horse to back off just steady pressure with the halter. We're not going to be super extensive about it. We're just going to touch all of those methods. And then we'll actually saddle the horse again, go through our lunging just like the day before. And again, if this horse is bucking super hard or is really reactive or worried about the saddle, we definitely want to leave them turned out again all day long, just like the previous day. And where you saddle them today is going to be determined by how they did yesterday. If they bucked really hard yesterday, make sure you saddle them in the round pin again. It's more controlled. Um, it's a smaller space. They won't be able to get away from you. You just have more control of the situation. However, if they were really pee-hearted and they didn't really jump around very much the day before, you can saddle them in the middle of the arena. Still go in the middle of the arena. That way you're away from the fences. There's no chance of you getting pinned in between him and a fence. Give yourself lots of room. But if he did well yesterday, as in he didn't buck very much, go ahead and saddle him in the arena. Now keep in mind, your horse should have had enough lunging in the round pin up to now to where you've got a really solid grasp of the concept. Obviously now you're out in a bigger area, so the horse's lunging is going to be worse. He's probably going to be pulling on you more, but he shouldn't be dragging you off around the arena. If he's still that much of a disrespectful pig at this point, definitely saddle in the round pin. If you don't have the confidence that you can control that horse in a larger area, make sure you saddle first in the round pin. Then after you've lunged in there, bring him out and do some more lunging in the big arena. After that, this horse should have been quiet enough now with all the work that we've done that we can get in a little bit closer to him. And while he's wearing the saddle, we can start working on yield to forequarters. The reason we want to start getting control of his forequarters is because that front end is what horses primarily use when they're pushing other horses and humans around. If we can get control of that head, neck, and shoulders, and we can move the horse out of our way and get them to yield those body parts away from us, we just have more control not only of their body but of that horse's mind. It's just another type of pressure, just like yielding the hindquarters, that is going to come in handy under saddle, and we need to get that horse exposed to. 
It's also just another exercise to work on after he's saddled. Like you said, he should be safe enough to be around in that close proximity by this point. But now that we're going to be saddling him every day, we need to make sure that he has some time each day wearing the saddle. You don't want to do all this preparation each day to get the saddle on, then saddle him and take it off right away. You got to have something to mess around with, teach, tinker with, something while the saddle is on him just to give him time in it. Exactly. So why not put that time to good use, do a little concentrated training, and get better control of this horse's direction? You know, the front end of the horse is basically like the steering wheel. The more responsive we can get him to be moving away from pressure, the better. It's going to translate under saddle, obviously, and it's just going to come in so handy on the ground, being able to move that horse more freely around us and move his body away from us. So it's not going to be perfect today. We're just going to do a concept lesson on both sides, but we want to have that horse pivot on his hindquarters, move his front end away, and ideally, we work on this enough on both sides to where we can get at least a few steps today. Sometimes you can get to do a whole 360-degree rotation, but some horses really struggle with this exercise in the beginning. So it's just like flexing. You want to do enough to make some progress and then get out and go do other things and come back to it later. You don't want to drill on it and pound on it until they get sour about it. Now at the end of the session, we're going to obviously unsaddle just like we did yesterday. We're going to rub down the horse's legs and we're going to lead him by the foot. And today we're going to do the first of the two front feet. And so that session is going to be a lot shorter because instead of having that horse back toward us off the pressure of the rope, we're just asking him to turn in and follow the pressure that's on his front leg. And horses typically take to that very quickly. So it, it doesn't take more than a few minutes typically unless they're super resistant to get them following the feel of that rope, turning in and coming off of that leg pressure willingly. Now at the very end of that session, when you get the foot rope off, you can put a snaffle bit head stall on the horse. Sometimes what we'll do is we'll just prepare them a little bit and practice not only desensitizing around their head with our hands and sliding the rope over their ears and just making sure that they're not head shy. You know, we're gonna do our head shy desensitizing exercises around their face. We'll also make a little loop in the lead rope and just practice putting that on and off like a bridle. Practice giving them the feel of sliding a bridle over their ears. And we'll even practice opening their mouths by putting our thumb in the corner of their mouth and just rubbing, putting a little pressure on the roof of their mouth till they open it and then we release. We'll do approach and retreat that way for a few minutes. Then we'll actually approach and retreat just with that loop of rope, of lead rope that we have. We'll practice putting it in their mouth as if it's a bridle and just letting them play with it and chew on it and then quote-unquote unbridle them, pull the rope off, and approach and retreat that way. And then we'll actually get the snaffle bit bridle that's just the bridle, the head stall, the bit, and a curb strap with no reins or anything else attached to it. And we're going to put that head stall on and leave it on, you know, adjust it up. You want to have an English-style one that has a throat latch so that they can't rub it off on a feeder or something if they're in their pin or in their stall. But we'll just put a standard smooth snaffle bit on them and we'll allow them to wear that all night long and into the following morning before we work them again. Our reasons for that are just like our reasons why we let that horse wear the saddle all day because we want to get him comfortable with that bit being in his mouth. And we want to get him comfortable before we ever start actually putting pressure on his mouth and asking him to do anything in it. You see a lot of people that 
the first time they ever ride a horse with the bridle is that horse's first day wearing a bridle. So the horse is going through all the things that young horses do when they first have a bridle in their mouth. They're constantly chewing on it, licking it. They're getting their tongue over the bit and back under it. And they're constantly messing and fidgeting with it because they haven't learned to carry the bridle. They're not comfortable with it yet. They're still figuring it out, right? It's, it's a weird feeling for that horse. Well, why would you want their mind to be occupied with this weird new gadget in their mouth? And at the same time, you're putting pressure on their mouth for the first time in their lives. And they really have no idea how to wear this thing or, you know, anything. You're just setting yourself up for more difficulty. You're setting yourself up for that horse, giving you more resistance because he's confused. So we're going to allow them time to wear that head stall and get comfortable before we ever start putting any pressure on their face with that bit. And it should go without saying that in between every session that we're working on, we're still desensitizing, we're still flexing with that halter and lead rope. And a lot of times, you know, at this point in the training, you can start to place more of an emphasis and do extra review on the groundwork exercises that the horse is struggling with. Work with whatever, say, method of backing that they struggle with the most. Try to focus a lot of your time on cleaning up those weak areas as we move forward. Day six is going to play out pretty similar, except we're going to introduce flexing with the bridle today. We're going to bring that horse out. We're going to initially flex with the halter. And then all I do is I've got the halter on over the bridle. So I'll just unsnap the lead rope from the halter itself and snap it up to the ring on the bit and just practice flexing with steady pressure on both sides and then put the lead rope back on the halter. And that's using steady pressure. Even though when we were flexing with the halter, we were using bumping pressure. It's a new sensation and a new tool that they don't know how to give to or haven't been exposed near as much to. So you have to start back at the beginning to help him understand and for things to go a lot smoother. So still spend a day working on just steady pressure flexing with the bridle. So up until this point, we've done a very significant amount of groundwork leading up to saddling because we really want to make sure that he is definitely using the thinking side of his brain. Um, he's being respectful. He's calm. He's relaxed. And honestly, we want him to be tired, not dead, but tired. Um, today, day six is going to be the first day that if things are on track and the saddling has been going textbook well, then today we're not going to do any lunging before we saddle them. All we're going to do before we saddle them is our desensitizing, flexing, and then we're going to back them up. Um, and so backing them up, that'll get them using the thinking side of the brain. It'll take the fresh off of them, but it's not going to have them as tired as if we had practiced our lunging before. So we're slowly kind of sliding the spectrum to where more and more of our groundwork is done with the saddle on and we can get the saddle on sooner and sooner and have this be a smooth process. You know, we're not going from, you know, 20, 30 minutes of groundwork straight to no groundwork. Here's the saddle. This is a progression, but it's something that we are mindful about. Like this isn't by accident that these exercises are in this order and that they progress this way. I also want to point out that you should be in the middle of the arena saddling by now. If not, that's a big red flag that you haven't done enough preparation. Some, something, some ball was dropped somewhere along the way. If you don't have this horse quiet enough that you have to be in the round pin to saddle, something's wrong. And as Amy pointed out, we should be getting confident enough now to where we don't have to work this horse as much just to get to the saddling. We don't want to be stuck in this limbo where we have to do 30 minutes of groundwork just to get the horse tired enough to where he's going to stand still and accept the saddle. 
If that's happening, again, that's a red flag that you didn't do enough intensive work the previous several days and you haven't made a lasting impact in this colt's mind to where he understands that he can just stand still and relax during the saddling. Now, another important note on the saddling, it's not a big deal if that horse bucked with his first ever time wearing the saddle on day four. He gets a free pass that time, but it's the only time we're going to tolerate it. A lot of horses will not buck on day five or the second session of wearing the saddle, but if they do, we're going to immediately redirect their feet with authority. We're going to hustle their feet. We're going to be stepping out, doing stage two lunging with inside turns, rolling them back over their hocks, hustling them left and right with rapid fire changes of direction. A lot of times those horses are going into bucking or they're threatening to buck. So when you step out in front of the drive line, the horse isn't really paying attention. So you need to jerk that lead rope aggressively to get two eyes, step in with authority and send him off in the new direction. And what mentally are we telling the horse when we do that? We're telling them that, hey, you ain't got time to be bucking and worrying about the saddle. I'm ultimately the one in charge of your feet. doesn't matter what kind of a reaction you're having. You still need to be paying attention to me. And you can see how that idea is going to be super effective from a safety standpoint as we go forward in this horse's career. Anytime that he's reacting or being silly about something, we want to instill in him the idea that no matter what's happening, he still has an obligation to pay attention to what we are doing because we are the ultimate ones that are in control and are going to dictate where his feet go. We can't stop him from having a reaction about the saddle or whatever else he's reacting to, but we can control the direction of his feet. And that's what we want to make a point about. So typically a horse will buck on day one of saddling, which is day four in the overall program. The next day they might buck a little bit or get a little bit squirrely. Typically the worst that they do is just kind of hump up a little bit, but they don't stop moving forward. They don't actually go into bucking. And if that happens, we're really not going to correct on them too much. We're just going to keep lunging them, maybe redirect their feet a little bit and just allow them to naturally come down. We don't want to punish them just for getting tight. We're only going to step in and start aggressively redirecting their feet if they actually commit to the mistake and start bucking. But most horses won't on day five. Now on day six, if they buck, that's a red flag. It Like if they're full on sunfish bucking, you need to make sure you're doing enough groundwork before you saddle. And once the saddle is on, if that horse starts acting goofy, you need to be stepping in and getting control of that situation immediately. Start redirecting that horse's feet and stop sitting there being a non-factor. Get some control of this colt and direct his feet and show him where to go. You also need to think about this. Maybe you're not allowing him enough time to wear the saddle each day and get accustomed to it. And that's a big mistake people make. They don't let these horses wear the saddle for hours at a time and get comfortable. They saddle them up, work them a little bit for like 30, 45 minutes, then they pull the saddle right off again. Let him wear it all day and get comfortable. Let him get used to it. And one final thing on the saddle, the part of the arena where you choose to saddle and unsaddle your horse makes a big difference. Don't do it by the gate, for goodness sake. In fact, ideally, you want to saddle and unsaddle in an area of the arena where your horse doesn't want to be. If he's got a magnet where he's constantly trying to drift to the gate, you need to saddle and unsaddle on the complete opposite end of the arena, not smashed up against the fence where you're in a, in a, uh, where it's a safety issue, but a little ways away from it, but clearly over on that side, away from any magnets. Now, before we unsaddle, instead of just flapping the stirrups today, we're actually going to do stirrup driving. And it's kind of a combination sensitizing and desensitizing exercise. 
If you understand the circle driving exercise on the ground, it's basically that exercise, except as we're driving the horse forward and around us in a circle, we're holding on to the stirrup and we're flapping it with rhythm as that horse moves forward. We never want to ride a colt unless we've done that exercise first, because we want him to not only respond to leg pressure, but also be okay with it. We don't want him to be freaking out about those flapping sensations of the fender and stirrup. So it's crucial. We need to drive him forward and around in the circle at the walk and trot, using the pressure of the stirrup flapping to drive him around, as well as yield his hindquarters. So when we go to yield, we're stepping toward his hindquarters, and we're literally pressing into his flank with the stirrup itself to move his hindquarters out of the way and disengage. And what we're looking for is to do this exercise long enough to where he's not overreacting about the stirrups flapping, and he's trotting nice and relaxed on that circle both directions. The more we can prepare that horse on the ground, the better our chances of having a successful ride. There's that saying, you'd rather get bucked off on the ground. And this is a perfect exercise where we can expose any remaining goofiness about the saddle itself. Then after we unsaddle and desensitize with the pad, we're going to lead by the last leg, which is the other front leg today, and that will conclude our leading by the feet session. We're going to do the hobbling again later. We're going to take that concept and advance it further, but for now, we're still going to be preparing their legs every day by rubbing up and down and preparing for that farrier, preparing to have their feet worked on. So that's a very surface-level overview of days four through six of our cult starting program. You can see how these little puzzle pieces that we're putting in here, there's a reason why they are in the order that they are, and there's a reason why I believe we have a pretty stellar cult starting program that is pretty methodical and pretty detailed and covers a lot of bases. We're not just going about this in a hee-haw, oh, you know, we'll just throw a saddle on, step on him tomorrow, see what happens, you know, maybe pony him around, have Jib get on his horse and lead me. It's none of that. We're not joking around. We want to have this experience go without a hitch and make sure that these crucial days of this horse's very first introduction to his career under saddle, we want that to go well because we're setting the tone for the rest of his life, for the rest of this horse's career. It's an important phase right now. We want to make sure all bases are covered. Let's move into our advanced training segment. During our last two installments, we talked about using our dry work and our flag work to teach our young cow horse the fundamentals, instill good habits, create muscle memory about how to move with the cow, stop with it, turn with it, etc. Now we're going to start translating those concepts to working an actual live cow. And when we first introduce this horse to the cow, ideally we're going to turn the cow loose in an arena or if we've got a cutting pin, say anywhere from 70 feet or more in diameter, it can be a cir circular pin, it can be an octagon, it can be a big square, it doesn't really matter. We just need some room uh, to allow us to turn that cow loose in the pin, allow the horse to see it, move with the cow, track it a little bit, not follow directly behind the cow's tail the entire time, but kind of shadow it. You know, as the cow moves down the fence or around the perimeter of the pin, the horse stays more toward the middle of the pen and just kind of shadows that cow, moves with it. We allow him to see it, help the horse kind of rate with it, and just go wherever the cow goes. And our initial objective is to just, number one, we want to keep the situation under control and just kind of gauge what the horse's reaction is. Some horses have a lot of expression. Uh, some Sometimes they're overexcited about seeing the cow. Others really have no emotion at all. 
Some horses, even if they're bred to be good cow horses, are scared to death of that cow when they first see it in the flesh. Okay, so we're just going to show them the cow. We're going to we're not going to go chasing the cow pell-mell around the pen and get the horse all riled up and break their confidence or start instilling bad habits about, you know, the horse being chargy and things like that. We're just going to keep things very relaxed in these initial sessions, and we're just going to create little opportunities for stops and turns to happen. We're not going to be super picky about the horse's body position or wanting him to be perfectly straight as he's traveling around or anything like that. That'll come later. Um, but we should have already done a good enough job in our preparation anyways that during this first initial exposure to the cow, we don't have to get in our horse's way constantly and be overtraining him. We're going to pick up on him and help him in certain areas, but we shouldn't have to manufacture everything. We shouldn't have to be in there training the cow out of him, as the saying goes, and having his mind so focused on us training on him that he just forgets to even watch the cow. Really, we want him to be watching the cow, giving him a chance to develop some expression and just get comfortable around this cow. That's probably our primary objective and just keep things controlled. And then we can start raising our expectations over the next few sessions. Now, despite the fact that we want to keep things more or less relaxed and controlled, we're not just out here riding around doing nothing either. We're going to be planting seeds for the kinds of reactions that we want this horse to have around cattle. And so, you know, when I initially turn that cow loose and the cow's just jogging down the fence, I'll initially just kind of jog the horse up there, let him see it, let him track it around, shadow it a little bit, staying to the inside of the cow, obviously, as the cow jogs around the perimeter. Not too close, but I do want to help the horse see it. We'll start pushing him up there further as his confidence builds. Just step up there a little bit further so the horse is now actually initiating movement. He's actually putting some pressure on the cow. And both me and the horse, we're just kind of mutually reading what the cow's reaction is. And I'm just kind of judging what this horse's awareness and sensitivity level is. And it doesn't really matter where the cow goes. I'm just going to keep the horse inside of the cow, just keep moving around. Um, and there are three things, going back to what I said about planting seeds for the correct habits. There's three things that that cow might do that we're going to pay attention to and that we want to have a reaction to. And the first one, of course, is if the cow stops. If the cow stops anywhere, especially along the fence, Ideally, I want that horse to stop more or less parallel with the cow. It doesn't have to be perfect, but I am going to help that horse a little bit. I'm not going to be training on him to the point that he forgets the cow is even there, but I will pick up on him, use my hands to help him create that stop um, if he's not really sure what to do in that circumstance. But again, it's where we're, we're kind of testing the waters here because some horses with a lot of expression, they will naturally read when that cow stops and, and they will stop as well. You know, they'll have some kind of a reaction oftentimes. The, the really cowy horses, they know they're supposed to do something. They're just not sure what to do in those moments. And so I might help him a little bit, just be secure in that and just stop with that cow and just wait and be patient. But other than that, I'm trying not to get in his way. I'm trying to let him see that cow and I'm trying to allow him to have a reaction first. And then if he, if he misses it completely, then I'll pick up on him and help him. The second thing we're going to be looking for is if that cow turns anywhere, we're going to maintain control in that turn. I'm going to turn the horse with the cow. Um, so we're always thinking about stopping first. Anytime the cow stops or turns, we're going to stop the horse first and then turn. And we are going to make a controlled turn, just like the good habits we established on the flag. 
And we want to teach patience here. This is critical because a lot of horses that are super talented, they're super cowy, they want to roll up into that cow and, and get all up in there and go chase it. And what we actually want to create is, is a little bit of the opposite, that we want that expression, but at the same time, we want to create a horse that has a lot of draw in that turn. And they have just the right amount of patience and the ability to maintain balance. So we, we don't want to let the horse be, you know, trying too hard in the beginning, trying to beat the cow through the turn. We just want to develop some patience here and let them read that cow through the turn. As the horse gets more comfortable in his job and gets more hooked up to the cow, that turn will become more fluid over time. But we're not going to jump the gun early on. And we're definitely not going to run, be running pell-mell around there, rushing around uh, and getting this horse all riled up. We want to teach some patience here. The third thing we're going to be looking for is if that cow turns completely away from us and shows us two heels. So let's say, you know, we're jogging along with the cow, the cow turns off the fence and kind of cuts a tangent through the middle of the pen and then turns the other way. So we, we were on the cow's left side and, and the cow was seeing us with, with its left eye and it completely changed face on us and now it's going the other way and we're looking at their right eye. Anytime the cow turns away from us like that and shows us two heels, we're going to stop the horse first before either turning or jogging forward to re-engage the cow. So we're, we're establishing those habits that if the cow stops, you stop. If the cow turns, you turn. And if the cow turns completely away from you, you stop first before making a, another move, whether that's a turn or simply jogging forward to re-engage the cow. So we're not forcing anything, but we're allowing good little situations like that to develop so we can plant those seeds. And as the rider, my job is to just be there to help the horse out, just travel with the cow nice and relaxed, stop with it, turn with it. As I mentioned before, some horses might be kind of playful, have a little bit of excess energy. Don't let that get out of hand. Um, you know, but otherwise just ignore it. You know, if it's within reason, they're showing some expression. Um, we're not really thinking about being in a controlling position the whole time with the cow at this point. We're just getting the horse's interest in it. So the stakes are pretty low here, but I'm also not going to let the horse run around like an idiot out there. We want to keep things under control more or less. And I'll follow this program for about a week or two when we initially introduce a horse to cattle. Uh, sometimes longer, you know, depending on that horse's level of expression. If it takes me longer to build a certain horse's confidence, or if that horse is a real deadhead that doesn't have a lot of expression, it's going to take more exposure to the cow before they start picking up on those signals and they start connecting the dots like, oh, crap, I need to actually watch the cow so that when the cow stops, I stop, you know, because we do that every time. So I'll do this enough until I feel that horse start to get a hold of the cow and some are quicker than others. Now, as you're driving the cow around and just kind of working it around the outside of this pen, kind of casually, you know, we talk about planting seeds for good habits. If that cow stops and you need to create movement, you know, a lot of times the cow will just stop on the rail and I'll use that as an opportunity to just kind of sit there for a couple seconds, allow that horse to be comfortable, just standing still right there. But then when I need to create movement again, I'll instill further good habits by making a quarter turn toward the cow's hip. So, you know, if the cow and the horse are stopped parallel to each other and the horse has got the cow on his right side, we're going to make a 90 degree turn to the right. I'm going to be positioning that horse's head to that cow's hip. We'll step to the cow that way in order to put some pressure on the cow and drive it forward again. So we're, whenever I need to create movement like that, 
initiate movement, I'm going to break a quarter turn to the cow's hip instead of walking out and around the front of the cow's nose in order to create turns. I want to teach my horse, again, casually planting seeds of good habits. I'm teaching the horse to stay inside the cow. This is where a lot of professionals uh, that have assistants are going to have turnback riders helping them out. Even sometimes in these early stages, it's not always possible, but this is where a turnback rider comes in handy even now, and they become essential later. Um, you know, but if the cow stops with it, I'll just stop and wait and then say, if I've got a turnback person helping me, they will then sweep out and around to turn that cow's head and push it the other way. If you don't have anybody helping you, which is the situation I'm often in, um, then it's not the end of the world. And there's nothing wrong with riding out and around on occasion if your cow continues to get stuck, say, in a particular corner. But you don't want to make a habit of that. I want to stress that. It's better to plant seeds right now of the horse understanding that he should stay inside the cow. If you're always riding out and around, you're going to fall into some bad habits just from always taking that little cop out just by itself. You're going to create charginess. You're going to create a horse that is not disciplined about stopping first and then turning or really reading the cow. They're always going to be trying to beat the cow instead of reading the situation. So you want to create little situations like that where to initiate movement, you're either breaking toward the cow's hip, uh, you know, or, or if the cow stops, maybe you allow that horse to travel up a little bit further on that cow's eye, not all the way out and around, but you've positioned the horse's body up far enough to where, you know, cattle have drive lines just like horses to where you're far enough ahead of that drive line. The cow has incentive now to turn and move the opposite direction. And that, that goes back to the concept we developed in our flag work where, when the horse stops with the cow, you know, we want the horse to be secure in that, not rushing, not rambling forward, etc. So again, it's all about planting seeds of good habits right there. One analogy I use, and people that play sports will understand this, is if you're playing baseball, when you're hitting in baseball, you, you always want to think about keeping your hands inside the ball. You want to take a strong, direct path to the ball when you swing Instead of sweeping your arms way out and around, you know, having your arms all the way extended and swinging them in a, in a wide, sloppy motion, you don't want to be swinging like that. You want to take a strong, direct path. And it's the same concept to the cow horse. You know, you want to think about staying inside the cow, eliminating unnecessary movement and fidgeting around, and just take simple, direct paths to wherever you're trying to get to. So, you know, like many situations in horse training, on the surface, at least as it appears to the horse, we're just kind of out here casually just kind of playing around and watching the cow, et cetera, et cetera. But subtly under the surface, what am I doing? I'm instilling good habits always. And another little seed that I'm going to be planting early on, um, talented horses will do this naturally, but some won't, is that I'm going to be aware of my horse's leads. In the beginning, when we get the cow out there, I'm going to be doing the majority of my work at a jog or an extended jog. You know, even if that cow is kind of rushing around in the beginning, I'm just going to do an extended jog and just keep things relaxed. But as the session goes on, if the horse is controlled enough, there's nothing wrong with loping up there a little bit, okay, and just getting the horse used to that feeling. Um, but I want to make sure that whatever side the cow is on, my horse is always taking the opposite lead, okay? So that's something that is, you know, it's pretty self-explanatory. A lot of horses will do that naturally, but some horses you have to be extra aware of that stuff especially the less talented ones. I'm not going to, you know, even now, I'm not going to allow my horse to be sloppy about what lead they take. 
I'm going to be a little bit picky on how controlled their lead departures are and what lead they actually take as we lope across the pin. In terms of how long you make these initial sessions, there's no hard and fast answer. This is where feel comes in. As we get to more advanced levels, whether it's the cow horse or anything else, it becomes more about feel and making good judgment calls as a rider. There's less and less of a of a cookie cutter way to do it. And it's more about adapting to what the situation requires. Okay. So I will say though, that you want to work the horse on that cow long enough that he's calm with it. He's understanding of what's happening, but, but not so long that he starts to resent it. You know, he's getting out of air. He doesn't like it. He's not paying attention. And now the quality of the session is just deteriorating by the second. Okay. You also don't want to work the cow until it doesn't respect the horse. As cows lose air, they start to challenge the fence. They start to challenge or just outright ignore and run through the horse, okay? And especially with a horse that has a problem with confidence around cattle, you don't want to work a particular cow so much that that cow starts to really lose oxygen. They start to get crazy, okay? There's no quicker way to break a horse's confidence than getting a cow to where it's overworked and just starts quitting on you or, or, or worse. Okay. So, you know, if you feel like a horse needs a little bit more after a session, even though if he's out of air, I'll tie him up for a while, go work another one, come back to that horse later after he's caught his breath. You know, if I've got a cow that I don't particularly like, just kick that cow out, go to another one. Okay. If, so I'm going to try to work this, I'm going to try to make this session long enough to where it's one horse and one cow, and I don't have them both confined in there to the point where they're both out of air and both hating it. I want to time my session to where I get some productive little seeds planted and I quit while the horse is still focused, still showing expression, still has energy. Um, but there's nothing wrong with working a horse multiple times, especially the ones that are just kind of deadheads. They really don't have a lot of incentive, it seems like, to want to pay attention to the cow. I'll do multiple sessions with that horse throughout the course of a day just to try to expose them enough, you know, get more repetition in and just show them, Hey, this is your job. You need to be paying attention to what this cow's doing. Let's get some more reps in so that when this cow moves or stops or whatever, you're actually reading that situation, trying to think ahead instead of just turning your brain off. Okay. So I'll work as long as it takes to where I feel progress, but you don't want to overdo it certainly in the beginning. So in the next uh, couple episodes, we'll just continue on our advanced writing series. I'm going to actually break up the flow a little bit and touch on some other concepts, more reining related, for example. I've got a really big uh, subject on circling that I want to really do. Um, and talking with some of my Horseman's Academy members, there's other subjects they want us to cover. So I'll continue doing this, uh, this cow horse series, but I really wanted to focus on the initial sessions on the dry work, the flag work, and that horse's first introduction to the cow. And hopefully you guys listening have picked up on a little bit of a theme here, which is that we're instilling good habits. We're planting seeds, but we're also teaching patience and control and balance and things that are going to serve us well uh, as time goes on. You know, it's like another baseball analogy here. If you're teaching a young pitcher to have the correct form and to have the correct balance and the correct arm angle when they throw, then as they get bigger and they start throwing harder, they're not going to be blowing their elbow out because, you know, they've got crappy form and they've got bad mechanics underneath. You've taken care of all of those fundamentals so that as you ramp up the expectations and you ramp up the pressure, that horse stays mentally confident. And that is 
I know a lot of cowhorse guys listening are like, dude, this is like 101 elementary level. And I realize that. But you would be amazed at the people that I've worked with and seen even in quote unquote professional trainer and clinician content where they're just doing everything they can, it seems like, to shatter a young horse's confidence out there running pell-mell around like a moron with this horse's first ever introduction to the cow, you know, thinking, ooh, I'm a big, I'm a big cutter, yeah, you know, and they get out there and it just... They're doing nothing to instill any kind of fundamentals, nothing to instill good habits. They're just dorking around like the worst of the lowest level team pinning horses that I've ever seen. That's the kind of habits that they're planting. And I'm trying to trying to posit that there is a sophisticated way to do this. This is the exact model that the guys I know that are successful with this follow. It's the model that I try to emulate. Um, you know, even though I mainly do a lot of two-year-olds and younger horses, in the context of my own training, I'm developing these seeds the whole time, okay? And we're going to talk about, okay, now as we move into more advanced levels of the cow horse, how do we continue that? And the trajectory is basically dry and flag work. We're going to work around on a single cow. Then we're going to start working out of a herd, okay? Working out of small groups, working around, and then gradually the expectations keep building from there. You know, we're not going to get to going down the fence for a while yet, um, but there's people that, whether it's non-pros that I know that are, that are kind of dabbling in the cutting and cow horse, or, you know, it's just me watching other content that's out there that is giving people the wrong impression about what this is all about, what this game actually is. I just want to put out a message to the people that are not as familiar with it, that there is a sophisticated, proper way that this is done. And that if you want to be successful, that's the model you need to emulate. It's certainly the model that I emulate because it works, okay? Um, so I'm just trying to make that accessible for more people so that they can respect the fact. Because that's another thing is that the, the cow horse side gets a lot of shit from the rainers and from the cutters, you know, who, who often don't respect um, how things are done on the cow horse side, particularly the rainers look with a lot of disdain and disrespect sometimes at the way the cow horse guys develop their horses. They kind of stereotype them as just being a bunch of dumb cowboys. Um, and I want to point out the fact that there is, there's a lot of stuff to this. Okay. That this is a, this is a hard, hard event. And there's so many things going on even in just the preparation for like we're talking about in this segment, the herd work, okay? Something that on the surface seems pretty simple, but there's a lot going on here. Um, so, you know, it's kind of been my experience over the past few years to get into that learning curve and, and try to unlock these puzzle pieces and make sense of it. And I've got another, you know, 20, 30 years ahead of me to figure this all out, okay? There's guys that have been doing this for, for decades and decades that, even they say, you know, they're still learning new things every day. But the point is that the system for developing these cow horses has become more of a science over the past several years. And it's, it's becoming, you know, in its own right, I would say, pretty advanced, pretty sophisticated. So I, I want to point that stuff out here and just point out that it's not just a bunch of guys running around in a pasture on some ranch chasing cows. You know, you hear that phrase a lot. Ooh, let's go chase cows. No, it's not that at all. Okay. There's a lot going on here that needs to be respected. And there's a lot going on here that needs to be done well. Um, if you're going to have any shot at doing this discipline, the way it was meant to be done, playing the game, the way it's meant to be played. 
for our theory segment today, we're going to go back to the round pin and talk about its utility and use uh, when we're dealing with aggressive, pushy, disrespectful horses. Question that Amy and I got recently from a friend of ours, it was actually a question around working a aggressive, disrespectful horse. This girl is training this horse for another owner, and apparently this horse has tried charging at her and attacking her several times. It's just a textbook case of a horse that fundamentally does not respect human beings and has had no effective leadership. And because this mare has had no effective leadership, she's assumed the dominant role. And my guess is, based on what we stereotypically see with these types of horses, this mare has been practicing aggressive, disrespectful behavior toward human beings for a long time. This isn't something that just happens overnight. Horses just don't wake up one day and decide that they're going to be aggressive and run at humans. This has been something that's been building for quite some time. It accumulates through poor habits around the owner's daily interaction with this horse, and we'll talk about that more in a minute. But I want to get down to brass tacks because this mare's charging and aggressive behavior has been allowed to turn into a full-grown habit. Fixing this problem is not going to be easy. If this horse were in our program today, the first place we'd start is in the round pin. You start working them in the round pin because it's a controlled environment. Unlike lunging or other groundwork, you're not physically linked to the horse or the lead rope or anything else, so you can stay much safer. How are we going to establish some respect and control with this mare? By moving her feet. We're going to establish with authority, point, cluck, and spank, that when I say go, that horse goes. And the horse is probably going to lash out, try to get aggressive the moment I start putting real pressure on her and trying to drive her around the round pin. So what am I going to do? I'm going to make her feel incredibly uncomfortable any time she throws up that negative attitude. I need to get this horse's respect. If I'm training a horse like this, what I'm thinking about is I need to get that horse and I need to give them an incentive to start taking human beings seriously. And I need to give her an incentive to start turning on the thinking side of her brain instead of just lashing out with reactive, disrespectful behavior anytime she feels pressure. So why is this round pinning exercise so effective? Well, it's because horsemanship is a game of movement. Horses intuitively understand that the one who can make the other's feet move is the leader in that situation. And up to this point, this mare has been asserting her dominance by acting aggressive and pushy toward human beings because it causes the human being to either move away from her and or cease whatever they were doing to make her feel uncomfortable. That's this mare's mental playbook. So we've got to rewrite that playbook so that this mare understands that she's now number two in the pecking order. I'm number one. She's not number 100, but she's not number one either. She's number two. And if I ask her feet to move, I might be putting pressure on her and making her feel a little bit uncomfortable. But if she respects that and moves her feet, she gets a release of pressure. However, if she doesn't respect that, I'm going to make her feel very uncomfortable. I'm going to make the wrong, the wrong thing difficult and the right thing easy. I'll keep escalating the pressure until she moves her feet away in the way that I'm asking her to. Now, this is the complete opposite of what this mare has been taught by humans up to this point. Whenever she's tried to assert dominance, you know, the human being has moved away from her and acquiesced to whatever she wanted to do. And now we're flipping the script. When she tries to assert dominance, I'm going to hustle her feet, much like how horses act toward each other when they're sorting out their own pecking order. That training stick and string that I've got is not just for decoration or as a scratching device to rub her on the withers. I'm going to use it, if necessary, to drive her around the round pin, and if she dares to get aggressive with me, I'm going to really enforce my personal space with quote-unquote extreme prejudice. 
there have been some aggressive horses that I've trained that they've run into my training stick. It's been cracked across their nose because they ran straight at me. That happens. It's rare, but it happens. And that's why I take these types of situations very seriously because it is a massive safety issue. A thousand pound animal running at you full on with teeth bared is not something to just laugh and giggle at. It's not something to take lightly. And that's one of the concerning trends that I see in the horse industry today is people treating their horses like big pets or teddy bears. They act like horses aren't capable of getting super disrespectful if handled incorrectly. And they act like horses aren't capable of killing people, which they absolutely are. So I'm going to treat a situation like this where I've got a horse that apparently feels okay with running at humans and charging them aggressively. I want to take that very seriously. However, here's where the discussion gets kind of tricky because we have to talk about the human side of the equation. Up to now, we've talked about, you know, we need to put some pressure on this horse. We need to get it to respect pressure. We're going to have to be pretty firm with this horse. It might get ugly in the beginning. But this horse needs to learn how to respect pressure and have respect for my personal space. But what about the human side of the equation? Well, I'll talk about my personal experience. When I think back to the times that I've had a horse run at me, nine times out of ten, it was my fault. Let me say that again. Nine times out of ten, it was my fault. I don't mean ten out of ten. It wasn't always my fault. There are some horses, and it's rare, but it happens, who of their own volition are going to run at human beings just because they're so disrespectful. They lash out at you. But that's almost never the case. Nine times out of ten, a horse that's thinking of running at you is going to give you a heads up that they're going to do it. It's not an idea that just pops into their head and they act on impulse. A horse is going to very carefully consider it and consider it and ponder the idea of running at you. And then they finally, they have to wait to get around for an opportune moment where that is going to make sense, and then they finally act on it. And as they're going through that decision-making process, they're giving you all these negative signals in their body language. And most people that have horses run at them, the reason why it happened is because they were not paying attention. Their feel and timing were poor. They weren't picking up on that body language that led up to that incident, and they allowed that horse to go through the decision-making process and then fully commit to the mistake and decide to actually run at you. See, because horses are like bad martial arts fighters, their body language and their expressions are always telegraphing what move they're going to make or the next punch they're going to throw, metaphorically speaking. They're always tipping you off and giving you a heads up as to what they're going to try. What do I mean by a heads up? Well, say you're driving this horse around the round pin. The horse is pinning its ears at you, swishing its tail, casually kicking out as they run past you, cutting in on the circle and buzzing past, casually kicking or nipping as they zip by, snaking their head around and snarling, looking at you as if to say, in about two seconds, I'm about to end this man's whole career. That's what I mean by giving you a heads up, all those body signals. And here's where most people get themselves in trouble. They're nagging their horses, nag, 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 nagging, and being ineffective. They're throwing up inconsistent cues, the way they're applying pressure, uh, and they just have a general air of indecisiveness and lack of authority about the way they're carrying themselves. They're picking at the horse, and all the while, the horse is telling them through body language, hey, I'm about to open a can of whoop-ass if you don't quit that. And the human doesn't get the message goes right over their head. So the horse is like, all right, you leave me no choice. I'm just going to have to tell you how it is. 
and see who's really the dominant one in this situation. Do what must be done, Lord Veda. Do not hesitate. Show no mercy. <laughs> Only then will you be strong enough in the dark side. My point is, I've seen this sequence play out many times before, and some people are worse than others about it. I've watched some students turn respectful, quiet, unassuming, honest horses into penny-eared, nasty horses in a couple minutes through poor feel and timing, usually in the context of groundwork. Doing things like, for example, casually whipping a horse for no reason as it goes around. No body language, no pre-cue, no sign that it's coming, just out of the blue whack. Or there's a million other ways that humans will put inconsistent and annoying pressure on horses. Doing just enough to irritate the horse, but not enough to follow through or accomplish anything effectively. And these humans are provoking a fight without even realizing it. Those of you that listened to our last bonus segment on getting owned by a stallion, this should be ringing a bell because that's exactly the situation that guy got himself into through nagging, inconsistent pressure and just annoying the horse and agitating it, but never being an effective leader. It finally escalated and boiled over to a point where this horse was blatantly disrespectful and outwardly aggressive toward him. And I know how this situation plays out because I've done this myself in the past. In all the times I've ever had a horse run at me, nine times out of ten I can confidently say it was because I failed as a horseman. I was ineffective in some way. Or I just wasn't paying attention. I wasn't staying on my toes and watching that horse's body language. And my timing was off and the horse decided at that moment to call my bluff. Just like getting bucked off a horse, the way I look at it, if I get bucked off a horse, I failed as a horseman in that instance. Either I didn't do my job and prepare the horse correctly, or I failed to anticipate something. Or if my horse reacted to something, I failed to take effective control, or whatever the case was, that shouldn't be happening, for safety reasons especially. Getting bucked off is what I call a catastrophic failure. It doesn't mean my career's over and I go hide in a hole, but it does mean that if my horse actually had the audacity to blow up and buck with me under saddle, I've done something really seriously wrong in my program and I've got a major hole somewhere that I need to find and fix. Yeah, and the same thing is true with this aggressiveness issue. If I'm working with a horse like this in the round pen day one, my feel and timing and awareness of that horse's body language needs to be fully dialed in. Because if I go to drive that horse off and that horse's ears start to pin backward, I'm going to immediately step in and escalate the pressure effectively. I'm not just going to let that fly. I'm not going to dawdle around and give this horse a chance to sit there and ponder whether or not she should lash out at me further. I'm going to take the initiative and I'm going to make the decision for her. And that's probably going to entail me running in there, spanking on her aggressively with rhythm and continuing to do so until she's not only loping around the pin the way I've asked her to, but she's doing it with a better expression. When those ears finally flick forward, then I'll back off and release the pressure. I'm not just going to let her keep sauntering around with disrespectful body language. I'm going to take the initiative and put her feet to work immediately. My awareness, I've got to be on top of that stuff. And any time this mare is not pinning her ears and she's not acting aggressive, it's a good time to catch her eye and have her turn in, walk away from her, let her stand still and relax. I'm going to look for opportunities where she's doing what I asked with a good attitude to give her a release of pressure, allow her to stop and allow her to catch her air. So she starts getting in a habit of, okay, 
when I'm a good citizen and I just do what he asks and I'm not super disrespectful about it, then it's, it's a get in and get out situation. But when I pin my ears or start acting disrespectful, he puts more pressure on me. Ah, I see how this works. We've got to change these habits that she's been in previously. So along with that, horses that are aggressive or bad-minded like this, they also generally are on the unambitious side of the scale. And so we need to be serious. We need to take this seriously. We need to make super effective corrections and be on our A game and just be aware of everything that's going on with this horse right down to the details. But we also need to let this horse feel like it can win. We need to make sure to leave it alone when it's doing well and to end our sessions at a good time. When you end or quit this horse is going to be huge. And what I've found with horses like this is you might end up having to work in smaller sessions rather than one or two bigger sessions in the day. You might have to do three or four smaller sessions during the day and quitting giving that huge release of pressure when something is going well or even if it's not well when it's going better than it was before when it was showing improvement that's going to go a long way with a horse like this for sure when you're working with a horse like this you need to be very black and white in terms of putting pressure on them and making them feel uncomfortable for doing the wrong thing. But when they do the right thing, like Amy said, you've got to take every opportunity to let that horse feel like it won the situation. Your timing on the releases of pressure are essential in this. Again, you've got to have the awareness and the feel and timing and know what you're doing. You've got to be super black and white, and you've got to have a very get-in, get-out mentality when working with a horse like this, getting those little victories along the way, finding ways to help that horse win and figure out the answer instead of pounding on a single concept for a long time. You're always looking for opportunities. You know, you might have to jump in and nip some disrespectful behavior in the bud and apply a lot of pressure and do that quickly and decisively, but just as quickly, you're looking for opportunities to rest and reward the horse because she was showing a better attitude and doing what you asked. There needs to be a big contrast in the horse's mind between those things. Often, horses that are like this have been very desensitized to human body language. They're in a habit of ignoring or disrespecting human beings or just not wanting to tolerate human presence, and they're not used to having to listen and look for cues or, or taking the human seriously. So we need to draw a new line in the sand in this horse's mind and make a big difference, you know, make that difference very clear between what is right and what is wrong behavior in certain situations. A lot of horse owners are like a parent with a snotty teenager who tells the kid to go mow the lawn, and the parent is sitting in the living room looking out the window, and as the kid is mowing the lawn, he's got a scowl on his face, and he's flipping the parents off as he walks past the window. In fact, he might not even be mowing. He's just leaning up against the mower, flipping them off the entire time. That finger is just always up. Now, you can't really be productive or get anything done if you're standing there with a bad attitude like that. But a lot of horse owners are like the metaphorical parents in this case. They're just sitting there reading the news or scrolling Facebook and ignoring their kid's awful behavior. They either didn't notice it or they just fail to do anything about it and they just keep letting it get worse. And when they really get themselves in trouble is when they hold themselves back from, uh, from dealing out effective discipline. The horse snarls and pins its ears at them and they either don't do anything or they put ineffective pressure on the horse that's just enough to antagonize it more. They never give that horse enough incentive to knock it off, take stock of 
what line that horse wants to cross and make a better decision and take that human seriously. A lot of these horses that are super disrespectful like this, they've fallen into a cycle where they show little bits of disrespect and the human either ignores it or continues making the problem worse. So the horse starts feeling the need to always escalate the pressure. And that's how you get from ear pinning or casually nipping at you to full on running at you with teeth bared, trying to run you down and slap you across the face. So in the regular podcast episodes so far this season, we've talked about round pinning the horse twice a day for several consecutive days when you're first starting the training. That's essential for a horse like this. And I wouldn't be afraid to make this horse live in the round pen for three or four days even, or longer, still working her twice a day, and she only gets to go to her regular stall or pasture when she comes to me with an improved attitude. I've done that many times in the past, just bringing a water bucket and a hay bag out there and just putting that horse on a diet of water and grass hay and working them twice a day. And then when that horse's attitude starts to improve, you can reward their living conditions and give them back those nicer amenities like a nice fluffy stall. Exactly. You can reintroduce the grain. They can have the alfalfa. They can have the shavings back when their attitude improves. The problem with most horse owners is that when their horse has a bad attitude, they look for ways to try to improve the horse's life. They almost act like their horse is a human being with depression or something. And so they, they need to go in and renovate their apartment and brighten that up. And, you know, they need more food. They need this. They need more entertainment. They need jolly balls. They need uh, rock salt carved from the top of Mount Everest. I mean, there's no end, no expense be spared for some of these horse owners. And it's actually the opposite. When your horse is being a disrespectful pig, you need to take away all these little cushy amenities that they have. Their life gets harder if their attitude is negative. As their attitude improves, their life gets easier and cushier. That's the opposite of most of how most people do things. But if you follow that program, as opposed to rewarding your horse for neg negative, nasty behavior, you'll have a horse that actually appreciates you going out of your way to make their living conditions better. I see so many horses out there that are just ungrateful for everything that they have. And if there's one thing I despise, it's ingratitude, okay? So we're going to reward that horse for better behavior, and we're going to take things away when they're disrespectful. For me, in these types of situations as well, the round pin becomes like a crucible for disrespectful, dominant, aggressive, pushy horses. What is a crucible? Well, it's a container that you put metals or other things into. You put them under extremely high temperature and you melt them down so you can mold or cast them into something useful. And for me, the round pin is like a controlled space where we're putting a lot of intensive mental and physical pressure on the horse. As we start gaining their respect and we can break down and reshape their mental habits, we begin the process of bringing that horse up from being a delinquent to a productive citizen. So that's kind of our perspective on the training side of this question, but I think we need to quickly zoom out for a second and just get a broader picture of this situation because the gal that we're referring to that's working this horse, she's not, she does not own this horse. She's working it for somebody else. And so there's an element to this where if you're working someone else's horse that is behaving this way, especially as a professional, you need to ask yourself some serious questions. You know, number one, based on your feel and intuition as a trainer, really how dangerous is this horse? You know, how bad-minded is it? Is this just kind of a one-off thing that the horse tried? 
typically a horse that's in a habit of doing this is pretty darn disrespectful and on the side of being bad-minded, though not always. And you need, you need to know, based on your experience working with the horse, is this horse going to be salvageable? Or is it genuinely bad-minded, like deep down to the core? It's just not a good fit for this owner's goals and the owner's own ability levels. You've got to make an honest determination on whether or not you can fix this problem and deliver a usable horse that's a lot safer back to the owner. Because if not, why would you continue working it and just creating a safety issue for yourself as well as this owner? That's just not ethical. The other thing you need to question is whether or not the owner is aware of the extent of this horse's behavior. If this owner has not experienced this behavior themselves at home, or they've not seen your training sessions, you need to bring this up because they need to understand the gravity of this situation. A lot of times when people send horses for training that come in with, and the moment you start working them in the round pin and putting pressure on them, their super ugly, disrespectful behavior comes out. If you then go back to the owner and tell them what you're experiencing, they'll often not believe you or be very surprised because they never worked that horse enough, never put enough pressure on it, never exposed it to any situations where that behavior comes out. That horse has just been lounging around in the pasture or a dry lot. Now it's suddenly in intensive training and the, the demon rears its ugly head finally. So a lot of times you'll get bewilderment or pushback from the owner. They'll say things like, well, that horse never did that at home. I've, I've never seen him act that way. And as you explain what you're experiencing and what this horse is doing in the training sessions, one of two things is going to happen. Either they're going to be good with you moving forward and continuing to train and do what you need to do to correct the horse's behavior and move forward, or they start thinking, what is this person doing to my horse that it's acting this way? Because in their mind, they never saw this horse act this way. And so that becomes a question in their mind is like, what is this girl doing to my horse that's making my horse run at her? Now, that could be a totally unfair question. This horse could be simply so disrespectful that that's why it's lashing out in this way. But if the owner is not aware of that, or if they're not on board with the explanations you provide, or they're not on board with the kinds of things you need to do in your program, again, it's just unethical to continue. Both you and the owner have to be on the same page as to whether or not this is a situation that can be fixed, if it makes sense, if we can do right by the horse, and we can create a positive end and make this horse a productive citizen. If not, there's no point in going ahead with the training. Because the kinds of things that you're going to have to do in order to put pressure on this horse effectively and turn its behavior around and start giving it an incentive to respect human beings, listen and take you seriously, that owner's not going to be on board with if they don't even understand the extent of their horse's behavior in the first place. Now, if you do decide to go forward with the training, the other question you have to ask yourself is if this owner, if their ability is where it needs to be to manage a horse like this, that's probably going to be more on the high maintenance side because if this horse has been practicing disrespectful behavior for years and you've only got a few weeks or a couple months to train it, they're going to have to take over from where you left off and they're, they can't slack either because they're going to have to continue to reinforce the positive habits you've now created because we're trying to turn the tide of years of disrespect, okay? So if the owner is not up to the challenge of following up by consistently working this horse at home and maintaining the progress you made, again, it's not going to be worth it. And it could be for multiple reasons. They're physically not up to it. 
They just can't ride as much because of career or other issues. They can barely work this horse a couple times a week and it's just not going to be enough. Or they're scared of this horse. It's too much horse for them. The problems, they just don't have the skills or the confidence to fix it. And if any of those things are lacking, again, it doesn't make sense to move ahead in the training. This is, this is a touchy situation if you're a professional or if you're working somebody else's horse that you don't own. And that's why I always err on the side of firing the horse from the program if you get a bad gut feeling about where this is going. A lot of horses with these problems can be fixed, but it takes commitment both from you and the owner. You both have to be on the same page in order to solve this and put this horse in a better place. And believe me, I've learned that lesson the hard way. Thank you for listening to the Horseman's Academy podcast. If you enjoyed it, be sure to leave a five-star rating to help other horsemen just like you find the podcast. To learn more about the Horseman's Academy or to submit a training question you want covered on the show, visit www.lundallperformance.com. Thank you.